Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Hardwood Handicappers Podcast. They're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game, and they never got the girls in high school, and they just want to get in the game. With your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No, f***ing geek. A f***ing geek. Only on the VSIN Podcast Network. All right, what's up, folks? Welcome in another edition of Hardwood Handicappers. It's a Friday, March 11th, in the heat of conference tournament action in college basketball. Man, uh, the last few days have been absolutely fantastic. Today is going to set up to be pretty good, too. Uh, as I am recording, it is Friday morning. So to give you an idea of when this happens, uh, watching Indiana right now up 15-10 to 10 over Illinois. 10-59 left to go in the first half. You're watching or you're listening to this probably a day or maybe even two days or hours later. So this doesn't matter. But we got a good, I think... Show on tap today. There's some news to come through to get to in the uh, NBA, but I-, I wanted to have a little fun with this because um, this podcast is going to be about evaluating another podcast to a certain extent. Uh, evaluating the evaluation is what I have dubbed this because Brian Windhorst of the Hoop Collective uh, came out with an episode today of his podcast. It was him, his colleagues over at ESPN, Tim Bontemps, and Tim McMahon. And I always like when when these award markets, right, we can evaluate the resumes of the players statistically, and we can form our opinions of how these players are playing in whatever respective market and judge then this guy should win this award, yada, yada. But the cool thing about awards and the bad thing is that they are voted on by humans just like us. And the cool thing, this I think the cool thing is, is that you can get the people who are voting on this, you can get their opinion, find out the way that they're thinking, and then you can act accordingly from there. And so today, Windhorse came out with a uh, episode evaluating all of the uh, the uh, year uh, the award markets, if I could talk. I'm watching basketball while I'm speaking to you. I apologize. 
uh, evaluating all of the award markets outside of MVP. So we're talking about Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved. Um, and I thought there's some, some interesting nuggets. Now, look, these are three guys who work for ESPN and just three of the many voters who are up and who will submit votes for these awards. But it gives you an idea of how at least three guys who have votes are looking. And I believe all three of them have votes. Uh, I could be mistaken in that maybe Tim McMahon does not. But regardless, um, two of the three, I think, do very much have one. So I know I think I'm, I'm pretty positive um, that Windhorst and make, uh, excuse me, uh, Bontemps have one. But regardless, whether it's two of the three or all three of them, we are getting an idea of how media members would vote, right? And that's important in terms of evaluating these races. And by an odd perspective, it does seem like most of these races are salted away, right? Rookie of the year, Evan Mobley, minus 650. Most improved player, John Morant, minus 1,400. Coach of the year, Monty Williams, minus 350. Defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, minus 150. Tyler Hero, uh, minus 10,000 over at DraftKings. All these numbers courtesy of that. And again, we're not talking about MVP in this episode. We are talking about the other awards. I will give my opinion on MVP coming up in a little bit here at the end of the pod. So I'm going to play a couple of clips from win horse pod so you can hear from the horse's mouth exactly what the evaluation process is here and i think it's it's pretty eye-opening in that it gives us a sense of people who are plugged into the nba and how they think and and, and look keep in mind as well while these are five three men's opinions on on these awards the the nba bubble the nfl bubble all of these media members it's a giant think tank right like it's all just an echo chamber so they talk to each other, and I think a lot of these will reflect, uh, for the most part, the thinking of a, a vast majority of their colleagues. So that's at least how I take some of this. So let's start with Rookie of the Year, because Rookie of the Year, I think, out of all of these awards markets that are outside of MVP, it, it could be deemed outside of Coach of the Year, which is, uh, by a price perspective at least, the most wide open. But Rookie of the Year, there is a chance... That that's a little bit more open than the price indicates. So Evan Mobley at minus 650. Scotty Barnes is 5-1. to one. Cade Cunningham is 6-1. to one. And then you get into the double digits. Josh Giddy, Franz Wagner, Ayo Dasunmu at 18-30. And then 100-1 to one for Dasunmu. Um, by the way, I got a great ticket on Franz Wagner to win Rookie of the Year. He's not going to win it, but I got a great ticket on it. So closing line value trophy. So first up, uh, let's hear from Windhorst. And I think really a lot of people, because we did this with the Zion Williamson and the... Uh, no, was it Zion Williamson? Well, Zion Williams was part of it, but it was Luka Doncic and Trey Young in terms of the Rookie of the Year, right? And Luka Doncic wins it that year, but Trey Young has a strong, like, post-All-Star break run. And people are like, watch out for Trey Young doing Rookie of the Year. It's not the case, right? Trey Young got off to a really poor start, and while he ended the year very strongly, it's Rookie of the Year, not Rookie of the last two months. And so we get wrapped up in what we saw last, and the flavor of the month, which rightfully so is Cade Cunningham, because the Pistons have been absolutely fantastic. Cunningham's been a really big part of that, and his development over the last two months has been incredible. If you haven't been watching the Pistons, they're a must-watch. So Windhorse, this, this clip I'm going to play you, is going to bring this up, and he's going to talk about Mobley, Cunningham, and just that dynamic here in terms of Cunningham making a strong push, and that maybe, just maybe, this race is open to a certain extent. Cade Cunningham has been really coming on um, since the all-star break, which is eight games. Um, he's averaging 21.6 points, seven rebounds, five and a half assists on 45% shooting. You know, he obviously got off to a slow start this year because of the injury. He didn't shoot the ball well coming out of the gates. 
Obviously, the Pistons have been one of the league's worst teams, but he is making a very strong push. But Mobley has been good all year, and since Jared Allen went out, um, he, had, he had a bit of um, a rookie wall February. His numbers dipped a little bit, especially his shooting numbers. And, you know, Scotty Barnes continues. Scotty Barnes has had a couple of just spectacular games. Um, Bontemps, this race, um, I don't know if Mobley has too much of a lead, but I, I think this thing's still open. So I think this thing is still open, and that that, that is the word, of course, that Brian Windhorst yet again from ESPN. So the three key names, right? Uh, the three horsemen, they're, they're mentioned there. It's Evan Mobley, it is Cade Cunningham, and it is Scotty Barnes. And I think it's important that, you know, the the thought process there from Windhorse is that Evan Mobley is in the lead, right? And that he still thinks that it's open, but that Evan Mobley right now is in front of the pack. However much the distance is, uh, it seemed like that Brian Windhorse thought, and I think that if you reflect it with the price, he and he would indicate, at least in terms of his thinking, that the gap is much closer than Evan Mobley minus 650, Scotty Barnes 5-1, to one, and that it is still open. A strong push from Barnes could maybe open this thing up for Evan Mobley. Uh, Tim Bontemps, who he referred to there, continued the conversation. was a little bit more, uh, he was pretty succinct in what he thought about that. I don't really. Uh, Cade has been awesome lately. Um, it's been super fun to watch. He is super fun to watch. I really, he just plays with an awesome pace of the game. He never looks rushed. But he was not very good the first couple months of the year. He was dealing, he missed all of training camp. He had this ankle injury. He had to kind of work his way in. And in a normal year, in a normal rookie class, he probably still would have been good enough to win rookie year because he's awesome. But in this year's rookie class, with Evan Obley and Scotty Barnes having huge roles on teams that are going to be in the playoffs or at least have a good chance to be in the playoffs. I think those guys are the clear one and two clear one and two. So it's Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes clear one and two while Cade Cunningham might be making a pretty strong push here might be making a strong rise here that it seems like our top two here are Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes with Evan Mobley still leading the pack. So What this tells us, I think, at least in terms of the betting market, again, we're talking about two guys who have votes for this award, but I do think that, like, the value play per se, I guess, as we're looking at all of this, would be a Scotty Barnes. I do think Scotty Barnes is solidly in second place. If you were looking to get involved in this market outside of Evan Mobley, it would be Scotty Barnes, but I definitely wouldn't be looking to Evan Mobley as this lock or this sure thing, and it does seem that a much more fair price for an Evan Mobley at this point is way more in the range of like minus 200 as opposed to a minus 650. I mean, minus 650 seems like a, a mortal lock when you're looking at that and you're, uh, you're accounting for implied probability as well. Minus 650 when it comes to implied probability is 86.7%. If you're talking more in the range of minus 200, that's like 66.7%. And I think that's a little bit more fair, right? Two out of three times he's going to win this award. And, you know, a third... Uh, one of the third times, it's either Cade Cunningham or Scotty Barnes who makes that push. I think that would be a little bit more of a fair price. So if you're getting involved, and uh, I know our colleague like Will Hill um, at VSIN, he was on, I think it was either Lombardi line or a numbers game. And, and one of his ideas, which I think is a good one, but for different award markets, is parlaying some of these you know big favorites together to win this. And, and like to me, I would not want to, if you're going that route, I would not want to involve Evan Mobley just because... I think that the gap between him and Scotty Barnes is much tighter 
than the price indicates. And trust me, I've got Evan Mobley. If you were a listener of this podcast beginning of the year, I've got Evan Mobley at plus 300 to win this thing. So I'm very much uh, hoping that he is going to win this thing. But it's very much worth mentioning that I do think the price is not really indicative of the chances that he has to win it. And by the way, the uh, the swoon that Windhorst mentioned in February, 14.6 points per game for Evan Mobley, 47.9% from the floor, uh, but just zero point, uh, we'll call it uh, like 0.9 or excuse me, 9.1% uh, from three-point range. Uh, 8.4 rebounds. So a little bit of a February swoon there for Evan Mobley, uh, but he has been really good in his last two games. Uh, again, as mentioned by Windhorse, but to give you numbers behind it, 20 and then 22 points in wins over Toronto and Indiana. And that win, that's a big win over Toronto, uh, mainly because, of course, playoff standings. But some fools will look at that and go, he beat Scotty Barnes. He should be in the lead for rookie of the year, um, which I think is asinine. So look, that race is going to be fun. But I think a lot of people would look at this and go, hey, especially the last few months and uh, the last few weeks, and go, okay, Cunningham, got to make a push. I'm telling you right now, and I said this when it came to Trey Young and Luka Doncic. I say it with every single award. I know that, like, Jason Tatum all of a sudden, you know, I've gotten a couple of, like, hey, do you think that Jason Tatum at 150-1 to 1 is worth a shot to win? MVP? No. No. It's a season-long award. All of these awards are season-long awards. And so when you look at guys like Kate Cunningham, well, he has been off to a tremendous run here at this point right now. You just can't overlook the beginning of the season for Cade Cunningham, which was not very good. And to give you an idea of how poor it was, because remember, he missed the first four games because of an ankle injury. And if you go through his first uh, just, I think, was this 24 games, we're talking about 15.8 points per game on 38% shooting from the floor, 32% shooting from three. He only had 6.2 rebounds a game, 5.3 assists. Was still working through a lot as a young kid and making his way through. Now, if you go back now, and look at his last, we'll call this uh, stretch here, last 11 games, just for example, 19, 19.7 points on 42% shooting from the floor. Three-point shot isn't there as consistently, but seven rebounds, five assists. He's been a little bit more of a better contributor. So while Cade Cunningham is off to a really good push here near the end of the season, it's just that, a push, and it does seem like the top two would be Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes. All right, let's go from there to Coach of the Year. I'm fascinated by the Coach of the Year race. And, and Tim McMahon, or excuse me, Tim Bontemps on this pod, again, we're kind of evaluating uh, these three guys in terms of their look at the award market. And this is what you do, man. You evaluate the evaluators. This might seem a little corny, like, hey, man, are you using another pod for content? But, like, as a better, when we're evaluating these awards markets, these are the kind of things that are really important when it comes to betting these award markets, getting the ideas from the guys who are actually going to decide the award itself. So, Coach of the Year, let's talk about this. Because it's a, it's a pretty deep candidate pool, it seems. I think, you know, and even uh, Tim Bontemps made a comment, like, you can make a case for, like, seven guys. I think so as well, right? Outside of the, the main guys, which would be Monty Williams and J.B. Bickerstaff, uh, you have a laundry list of dudes who I think would garner some attention for this. Eric Spolstra, Taylor Jenkins, Billy Donovan. Uh, I'm not sure big on Steve Kerr, Emi Odoka with the push that the Celtics have been making. is absolutely going to be considered. I'm a big Chris Finch guy. I got a ticket on him, but I feel like 55 to 1 or so, it's not going to get there. But the Timberwolves have been absolutely fantastic. Tyron Lue. Ty Lue has been incredible for the Los Angeles Clippers of what they've been able to do and the fact that they're above 500 and pushing the way that they have been at the end of the year. But to me, it's about two guys. It is about Monty Williams and it is about J.B. Bickerstaff, the two guys at the top of the list. Williams is minus 350. J.B. Bickerstaff is plus 350. Uh, let's hear from all three of the uh, Tim Bontemps, Brian Windhorst, and Tim McMahon crew. And again, this is the uh, Hoop Collective podcast from ESPN talking about how they evaluate Monty Williams for this award because it does seem like Williams has a very, very strong case. I think that Monty should be the guy. 
I think uh, you can make the case that Monty should have been the guy last year and that the playoffs absolutely proved that the voters got that one wrong. It, it would be hard for me to justify not giving Monty a first place vote when, and I know this isn't the way you're supposed to factor it in, but when I feel like he should have gotten it last year. I feel like he's deserving again after getting uh, getting hosed last year. I mean, yeah, well, I think you could set last year aside and just say, did anybody think the Suns were going to win 65-plus games and take this extra leap on top of everything else that's gone on? Like, no, I don't think anybody thought that. So I, whether you want to incorporate past years or not, I think on this year alone, Monty's more than deserving. He'd be my choice too, I think, as a yeah. When I look at the way that, that uh, and, and, he, and he's changed up his t- defensive strategies, he's been preparing more for the postseason this year. He's, you know, he's done some more with Aiton defensively to get ready for it. Um, I think he's got a very compelling case. Very compelling case. And, and it is. Like, I've been in the camp of Monty Williams to be coach of the year personally. Um, I'm actually, I echo the sentiments of Tim McMahon. Like, I thought that he should have won it last year. I thought it was ridiculous that he didn't win it last year. Uh, that Tom Thibodeau did. I think it looks more ridiculous with every single passing day, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and I also think that if you evaluate this realistically, because I'm going to play right now, Brian Windhorst making the case for J.B. Pickerstaff, and he's going to mention in passing Eric Spolstra. For me, my top three candidates in order at this point right now, uh, it would be Monty Williams, J.B. Pickerstaff, and Eric Spolstra. And, and you'll hear the nod here to Spolstra and that you know Spolstra's had to deal with a lot as well. He's had to deal with a lot of absences. He's had to deal with a lot of lineup changes. And he has had so many different iterations of his team in this span of a season. And yet here they are as a top overall seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, that's a really, really good job that Spolstra has done. But the case for Bickerstaff, it's pretty easy to make here. It's just, is this case better than that of Monty Williams? And I just don't know. If the Cavs can finish in sixth place, and, and they've got a decent chance of that, and you look at where they were at the start of the season – and you look at that they lost two starter quality guards for the year. Yeah. Yep. And, the, and then they had a COVID stretch. Jared Allen has been hurt a couple of times. Mobley was out for a while with an elbow injury. Garland's they been traded, banged up. They, tra- they traded for Karis Levert. He gets hurt almost immediately. Um, they went through a stretch recently where they were playing a, a two-way guy at point guard, and his backup was a 10-day guy. I will say that in the non-LeBron division, it's like one of the most successful Cavs seasons like the last, really ever. So, I mean, that, I mean, I don't know if he can get past, uh, uh, get past uh, uh, Monty. And I mean, I'm a big believer in Eric Spolstra. I, I, right. you know, if you look at the, the number of combinations that Spo has had to turn out there this year, different players, he started changing roles and everything. You know, that's the case every year. Um, J.B. Bickerstaff, in most years, I think, probably gets it. And he, he might even get it this year. But Monty's, sure. case is, Monty's case is so strong. It is. It's extremely strong. And I'm firmly in the camp of Monty Williams winning this thing, man. Very much in the camp of Monty Williams winning this thing. So, right now, Monty Williams, again, minus 350. If you want to go back to that, like, parlay route in terms of parlaying some of the favorites, go ahead and do it. Um, so, this is where we get into the interesting part of the conversation. Uh, because... You know, it, their their podcast, they, they ended it with most improved player and a six-man of the year. And just as the odds reflect it, 
the uh, conversation was kind of a throwaway. Uh, Tyler here is going to win six man of the year, defensive player, or excuse me, uh, most improved player of the year. I don't know if I said defensive player of the year. Uh, most improved player of the year, John Morant minus 1,400. He's going to win it as well. Uh, no mention, by the way, of uh, our guy Tyrese Maxey or Darius Garland, who I bet at the beginning of the year. Now, Von Temps did mention Darius Garland in passing. He said that his two um, were John Morant, and if anybody else was going to win it, it would be a guy like Darius Garland, or it wouldn't be a guy like Darius Garland. It would be Darius Garland. Again, that's one man's opinion, uh, but reflective of the betting market, right? They spent a total of like 10 seconds on it. John Morant minus 1,400. Bridges 10 to 1. I don't understand the Miles Bridges thing. Like, again, he's not going to win it. Nobody else is going to win it. It's going to be John Morant. I just... It, if you were to tell me to realistically set odds, just because you score more points on more shots inefficiently does not make you most improved. We have to. We have to. This is a quick aside. If you're listening to this, we have to get rid of our love for scoring, okay? Scoring is just one of many metrics in which a player should be evaluated. And just because a guy is taking more shots on more attempts does not mean that he has improved. Has his efficiency increased or decreased? a very big indicator of whether a guy's improved, right? Darius Garland, his scoring has improved, and his efficiency has improved. Tyrese Maxey, his scoring has improved, his efficiency has improved. Hell, Ja Morant, his scoring has improved, his efficiency has improved. So, anyway, uh, Ja Morant out, boom, looks like he's going to win this award. Looks like he is. Uh, And then Tyler Hero, for sixth man of the year, he is going to win this award. Which gets us down to the last award, the most intriguing award, one that... I, of course, many of you listening to this are involved in, and that would be Defensive Player of the Year. So let's just get this out of the way now. Jaron Jackson Jr. was not mentioned in any way, shape, or form by these two, or by these three, I should, I should say. Um, there was only two that were mentioned, Rudy Gobert and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now that reflects somewhat the odds to a certain extent. Rudy Gobert is minus 150. Bam at a bio at plus 380 has made a push on the odds board because of some support. And then Giannis Antetokounmpo at plus 550. Now, if there is a value shot to take here, it is Bam at, excuse me, it's Bam at a bio. Man, I'm all over the place. I cannot be watching basketball while I uh, record for you guys. It is Giannis Antetokounmpo at plus 550. It is. Flatly, it is. Bam Adebayo has done a tremendous job. You wonder how much, in terms of time missed, is that going to hurt him? And it's not a slight against Bam. I think he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. These odds obviously reflect that. His play reflects that. On-court, off-court numbers reflect that. All that good stuff. Um, He's a great defensive player. Absolutely fantastic. But Giannis Antetokounmpo has actually been mentioned multiple times in this award. He's been consistently on the floor. I think some of the inconsistencies of his team defensively uh, since the beginning of January through now should be held against him, but it does not seem to be the case as represented by the conversation here. But really what I want to play here, this is an interesting, I think about 60 seconds or so we're going to hear on Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert, the odds on favorite at minus 150, I think is a pretty weak case for an odds on favorite, right? Like out of all of these wards, for him to be an odds on favorite, uh, he is on the shakiest of ground. He's obviously at the lowest price. But I don't even know if he should be an odds on favorite. He should be favored, but I think it should be like plus 150 on a guy like Rudy Gobert. And much tighter numbers between him, Bam, Giannis, and Jaron Jackson Jr. I'll get to Jaron Jackson Jr. It's not all it's not all lost for Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, regardless, listen to McMahon and Windhorse speak on Rudy Gobert. And there's look, I don't want to read into anything. 
but this weird disdain in the voice <laughs> when it comes to uh, I don't even know if it's disdain. It sounds like exhaustion when it comes from Windhorse in terms of Rudy Gobert. That on-off is Gobert's, you know, probably the best argument that uh, that there is. Well, not the best. One of the best arguments for Gobert this year. Basically, they're the league's best defense with them on the floor, one hundred five point one, and would be, you know in the twenties or so without them, 111.2, but they're all, you know, it's tough because they are 13th overall. And it's, you know, you don't see many defense players of the year from a team that's, that's decent defensively overall. I mean, Gobert, there are some nights when he completely owns the core. He changes the game yeah. defensively. There are other nights when that's not the case. Um, but, like, I, I don't know. I mean, Utah is not as good defensively this year as they were last year. There's, there's factors at play there. Um, they've underachieved maybe a little bit this season overall. It's a hard pick. It's a hard pick. It's a hard pick, but Rudy Gobert's minus 150 to win the award. So, look, some of these other candidates to win this award, like I said, Bam Adebayo wasn't mentioned. Jaron Jackson Jr. wasn't mentioned. Uh, Robert Williams was mentioned by these guys in terms of if you were picking a defensive player of the year candidate from the Boston Celtics, who would it be? He's about 16-1 over at DraftKings to do so. So that is very much worth it. It was stated too, by the way. Uh, and again, I just I cannot emphasize enough, right? We don't, don't take this as gospel because these are just three guys who have a vote talking about the votes, right? These are just three votes in the grand scheme of things, okay? Draymond Green eliminated from contention. So... He's at 18 to 1. If you're snapping up some value, I think at this point right now, we all know. Uh, but just in case any of you were holding out hope, Draymond Green is not winning this award. It just sucks because he was. And actually, that was mentioned by both, all three of them that uh, Draymond Green was going to win this award if he was going to be healthy. He's just not healthy. He has not played. And so he cannot win the award. So, so what do we do with all this? So I think really my main takeaways were, number one, a defensive player of the year is still absolutely wide open. And that if I were to take my shot anywhere, you know, I thought it was going to be like a Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Bridges right now is about 18-1 to 1 to win the award. Uh, but at this point, it would be Giannis Antetokounmpo if you're taking a shot. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised by the, late, uh, the, by the late support here for Bam Adebayo. The problem is Adebayo missed time, and it's just come here in the last two weeks in terms of Bam Adebayo's support at the odds board, and that's just a, a representational liability. Uh, that's what all these numbers are. But that's just representational liability at this point right now, the plus 380. Bam's a really good defensive player, but I think time missed and a light push doesn't give you an award. Again, these are defensive player of the year, of the year, of the year. Cannot stress that enough. And, and I don't think that a good – it sounds like I'm sliding Bam Adebayo. He's been good defensively all year long. But when you're talking about Rudy Gobert, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, and, here, and that's the thing, right? Kind of pushing against that case. And that's why it leads me back to Giannis. Rudy Gobert missed time. Rudy Gobert and the, and the Jazz have been wildly inconsistent as well. And so to me, when you're making cases, you're looking around – who has consistently been good on the defensive end of the floor? Who has consistently played this season without missing really big, long, extended stretches? You keep going back to one guy, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, and it's a hard way to evaluate, just like Winhorst said in that. It's, it's very hard to evaluate defensive player of the year. Defensive numbers in terms of metrics have a lot of noise in them. On-court, off-court numbers have a lot of noise in them. Individual defensive rating have a lot of noise in them. So, I think at the end of the day, 
the value per se is going to be here on Giannis at plus 550, who was passed by Bam Adebayo on the odds board just a couple of weeks ago. Now, I mentioned I would talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. just briefly. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. continues to you know, just perform at a very steady level at this point right now of the season. Um, it was mentioned on Zach Lowe's podcast, who he just did an episode with Bill Simmons. Uh, they actually did bring up Jaron Jackson Jr., his leap as a defender, and uh, it was a great, great little moment for all of us JJJ supporters uh, in which – uh, Bill Simmons tried to mention that he was not. He was like he he was like you know you can't even bet on Jared Jackson Jr. win the award, which of course we all know you can. Um, and he said, is he, "Is he not up for Defensive Player of the Year?" To which Zachler responded, uh, "Is he not? I believe he is. So he's at least in the conversation to win the award. Whether or not he does is a whole different type of conversation. Uh, but Jackson has again just been really good defensively. And uh, while his uh, in terms of the defensive uh, efficiency when he's on the court." has slipped a little bit here in the last month or so still when he's out there giving up just 107.8 points per 100 possessions, 4.6 points fewer when he is out there on the floor. So he And he's still blocking shots like crazy. So he's going to be up there. Trust me. He's still going to be in this conversation. It's just how, did the, how do voters who, and let's be honest, some of them don't even know what they're doing. Some of them just check in last minute and vote for some garbage because they have no idea what's going on and they don't watch any other team but their own. How they evaluate this defensive player of the year race is going to be absolutely incredible. So that's the first takeaway. Uh, Rudy Gobert, very fragile favorite. I would be looking at Giannis Antetokounmpo, plus 550, to win that award. Um, Coach of the year, my guy, Monty Williams. I think that's a representative price at minus 350, just given the evaluation of Windhorse Bontemps and McMahon. And I do think that while rookie of the year, Evan Mobley deserves to be favored. I think it should be a little bit of a shorter price. So might be worth taking a look at a Scotty Barnes type there at plus 500. I do think Evan Mobley deserves to be an odds-on favorite, but I still think a $2 price tag is a little bit more fair in that regard. All right, before we get out of here, uh, really quickly, just a couple of things to hit on in the association before we dip. Um, first of which is, and I, this is just, this is not statistically based. This is just me talking out loud and wondering and thinking to myself and I think many of you might be thinking the exact same thing here at this point. And I wrote about this when it came to uh, the Los Angeles Lakers earlier today because they're in action against the Washington Wizards. You know, at what point does LeBron James need just like stiffen up? And he's like, I'm not doing this anymore. They lose to the Houston Rockets in overtime. LeBron was getting ish for the the, like, the past layup. If, if you actually look at the angles, he was underneath the backboard. I'm not going to get into the conversation. Um, we just love to dump on LeBron. But this Lakers team now, one in six. Um, since the All-Star break, straight up, 2-5 and five ATS. Uh, you, you just you wonder if they continue to take losses like this at what point, even with Anthony Davis potentially on the horizon, at, at what point is this going to end? And LeBron James is just going to call it quits. Absolutely. And also, this is really a topic worth expanding on. So if you go back to last weekend, when the Brooklyn Nets were in Boston, and they actually eventually, because Jalen Brown was announced, Ended up closing as a, a six and a half point, six point uh, uh, underdog, right? So depending on the number, you either covered or they pushed. And against the league's best defense, they went out and had an offensive rating of 122.4. Then against Charlotte, they win 132 to 121, put up an offensive rating of 126, cover that number, Kyrie goes insane. And then we get last night against the Philadelphia 76ers. Brooklyn, and, and wildly motivated too. They came out afterwards and said so. They go out and beat the tar out of the Philadelphia 76ers, 129 to 100. They had they drop an offensive rating of 
in that game against the Philadelphia 76ers. They were brilliant, bloody brilliant. Kevin Durant had 25 and 14 on 10 of 17, and he was 3 of 6 from three-point range. Kyrie Irving had 15 points on 6 of 11 with some clutch buckets. He was 3 of 6 from three-point range. Then, here's the thing that we forget about a team like the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, they have Seth Curry, who went out there, dropped 24 points, 10 of 14 shooting um, in this matchup. Absolutely incredible what the Brooklyn Nets were able to do in that game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Absolutely nuts. And it's definitely worth looking at when you watch them going forward. And I believe, by the way, I believe I said uh, Kyrie Irving had 15. Um, he, he actually had 22 on 8 of 17, 5 of 11 uh, from three-point range. Seth Curry had his 24, and uh, Kevin Durant had 25. I was reading some of the uh, non-garbage time minutes there. Um, but overall, when you look at this and evaluate the Brooklyn Nets, it, as long as this mandate thing's going forward, you know, they're not, I don't know how they're going to be rated at home. But on the road, when you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry, and another night's Patty Mills, Patty Mills was not as effective last night. Definitely worth looking at. Definitely worth looking at on the road, man. They're going to be absolutely fantastic. Uh, all right. With that, let's cut this one short. Uh, remember, on Sunday, uh, we are not going to have a Hardwood Handicappers podcast, uh, or excuse me, an episode uh, live selection Sunday. So I'll be part of that coverage with Amal Shah Sunday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, but until then, see you on Monday with a brand new edition of This Bad Boy. Got a lot to get to. It's going to be a busy weekend. Man, college basketball, NBA is down to the home stretch here. That's such a fantastic time of year. Anyway, like, rate, review, subscribe. Follow on Twitter at MeJVT. And uh, anything you got, send it my way because uh, all the support has been absolutely fantastic.